For those of you that I don't know, my name is Josh, and I'm a student pastor here. Um, I am um, I'm excited about being able to come and, and speak with you guys. Um, I enjoy this, and I think we're going to have a, uh, a good time, a great time this morning. Um, I want you to think a little bit about when a point in time that you felt the most desperate, all right? Now, I'm not talking about like desperate, like I've got to have a boyfriend, I've got to have a girlfriend. Not, maybe not that, that side of desperation, but maybe more on the side of I am in great need of an answer because of the situation or the place that I am in at this, at this very moment. I was, I was reminded about the fact that we all have times, sometimes they are small desperations, but, and sometimes they're big but in the moment, they're all equal, right? Because if, if that's what you're desperate for, that's what you're desperate, desperate for. I was reminded of that last night. We were coming back from eating, and uh, we were riding um, back to the house. And we have a four-year-old daughter uh, named Addie, and Addie was in the back seat. And she was kind of quiet. I noticed that she had been humming a little bit, but, I mean, she just, you know, she's probably humming Frozen because that's all we do is listen to Frozen. And, uh, and I'm just trying to let it go. And, and so, it, uh, it, you know, so she's just doing her thing back there. And um, we pull up, and me and my wife, Janelle, were having a conversation in the front seat. And it was kind of one of those deals. It wasn't, I don't even know what the conversation was. It wasn't important. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't, you know, I'm not going to, you know, it's not like I'm sitting here saying, me and my wife, we're, we were after it, you know. We were, but we were just having some simple conversation. But it wasn't over when we got to the house. And so we were just kind of just naturally, like you would, we just put the car in park, sat down, and we were, well, we were still sitting. We weren't standing while we were driving. But we were still sitting there, and we just were finishing our conversation. And it's kind of one of those deals, you know, sometimes a kid will be like, you know, let's go inside. And we're like, you can hang on. We'll tell you when you can go inside. And, and the next thing I know, so she, Addie grabs my shoulder. She had unbuckled herself, jumped out of her car seat, bailed up onto the console, and it was pushing me back. And she said, y'all listen and get out of my way. And I'm like getting ready to spank. I mean, I'm like, what are you talking to me? And I and we said, what's the problem? She said, I've got to go to the bathroom, and I've got to go to the bathroom right now. And we were like, get, you know. And she ran, and... Uh, she was desperate. I mean, she was in desperate need of a bathroom. Um, when I was in high school, there was a spot. Uh, I, I probably am still a redneck, and I was more of a redneck then. We'll put it like that. And uh, and and one of my favorite things to do was to go find some mud and get my truck stuck, and then to tear stuff up. And I don't know why, but it was fun. And I and I really. I really enjoyed it. And so depending on how much rain would fall from over time, I knew what place would be the best place for me to go ride around in my truck. And, and it's not like I was doing this with big groups of friends. This was for my mere entertainment and enjoyment by myself. And, um, and I knew that because of the rain, this one spot, this field, was going to be super muddy and it was going to be great and we were going to have a good time. And uh, by we, I mean me. And, and, uh, and, and so we went to this uh, field and... I was just driving around slinging mud, and I was like, this is great. And then after a while, you're like, let's do, you know, I, I would like to do something a little bit different. Uh, I wonder how many times I can do 360s in the mud without stopping. And I was like, I can do this. And so I backed my truck all the way up into the edge of the woods, and I was thinking, this might not end well. But at the time, I was like, you know, God hates a coward, and so let's just, let's just, 
let's see how this works out for me. And, uh, and I put it in the drive, and I can remember just nailing the gas and taking off. And when I got to my point of no return, I slammed on the brake, and I cut my wheels and started spinning in circles. And then I gave it gas and stomped that to the floor, and we just started going again, we, I mean me, going on the ride. And I had to go across the ridge of this hill, and it never dawned on me that what if I missed the ridge of the hill and it would go down. And, uh, and the next thing I know is I'm sliding sideways going down the side of this hill. And at that point, it doesn't matter if you press the gas, the brake, you know, the gas and the brake, you know, put it in park. It doesn't matter. You're just along for the ride. And the next thing that I know is it was a quick stop, and I'm looking up at the sky, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on, and I realize that my truck is pointed straight up, and I look back in my rear view, I mean, through my back glass, and my bed of my truck is full of water. My tailgate, I watch it go boop and go under, and then I'm watching the water rising. You want to talk about desperation? I realize I fell off in like a creek, the edge of a pond, and I'm just going down. I mean, for me, it's over. And my big red truck that I love so dearly is fixing to be gone forever. I wasn't worried about getting out. I mean, I could step out, but I was like, I was more worried about my truck than me. And, and, and I was desperate, and I was like, I need some help right now. And I was like, I need to call my dad. But it, when you, like, if you're in trouble and you're in a bind, the last thing that, you really, that I knew I needed to do was to call my dad because it was just going to get much worse. And so I got hung in the middle. And I was hung in that desperation for a while. And we'll get back to that in a second. But what are, what are, what are, what are you desperate about right now? What, where have you found yourself being desperate? And where do, you find, where do you find answers for that? We're in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, if you want to be flipping over uh, that direction. We're in Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at the fact that we all hit points in time in life. And, and, and I know that these were comical things, but, but for us, a lot of time our desperations are rooted in very, very serious things that happen in our life. And so in that moment, I have the question for you, what, what will you choose to do? What will you choose to do in your desperation? What will you choose? What action will you choose to take in that moment that you find your, your, greatest, your greatest desperation? Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And I'm going to tell you, we're just going to walk through, it's just a few verses, and we're going to walk through this short story that Matthew gives us as an, uh, uh, about Christ and his interaction with a couple of people. And, and, and we'll just kind of, kind of stop after every verse and just kind of talk about it a little bit. Matthew 9, verse 27, it says, As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, Right off the bat, there's some interesting things that are going on that we've got to be able to wrap our heads around to, to, to move forward with this. Jesus had just finished raising, and you think about this, you're like, what did you do? I, you know, I just fixed my car, it was a good day, and you know, I got it back running. That's what I did yesterday in the rain, and, uh, and, and I was very proud when I got through because I get to get dry and I could drive my truck, and, and, uh, and I, you know, I didn't have to depend on somebody else for a ride. So I did that yesterday in the rain, and so I was proud when I got through. Jesus had just finished raising a girl from the dead, okay? Jairus' daughter. He just finished raising her from the dead. They were playing funeral music, as a matter of fact. And so there's no question that this girl was dead, and Jesus had just finished raising her from the dead, and he's walking. And as he's walking, probably a great crowd is following him because, obviously, he just raised somebody from the dead, and he's been performing all of these miracles 
and we get the picture of two blind men coming and screaming and crying out, calling out, not just, not just, hey, Jesus, I have something that we need to talk about, but, but calling out, yelling with desperation, hey, I need help, Jesus, from the spot that I'm in right now. Can you do something about this? And then they said something very powerful. They said, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this is the first time that, that the phrase son of David is found in Matthew. And, and, and literally what they are saying is, hey, can you take us and fix us? Because we believe that you are the promised Messiah. We believe that you are the Lord that is talked about in the Old Testament. We believe that you are the son of David. Can you fix us? When is the last time that we became so desperate in life that we were willing in a crowd or wherever it may be to cry out, to scream to God, God, I need your help. But not only I need your help, have mercy on me because you are the Lord of the entire universe. Very profound thing going on in that first verse. And then as we slip into verse 28, we see something that kind of throws us for a little bit of a loop. It says, when he had gone indoors. Never talks about a conversation with him on the street as he's walking. We see Jesus, basically, we catch the, 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 the idea that Jesus just keeps going and walks past him and walks into his house or one of the other disciples' house houses, but he walked past them and went on inside. And we think about that. It's like, it's like these, these guys that are in desperate need are like, Jesus, I'm calling out your name, but as I call out your name, you're not hearing me. But Jesus heard them very well. But it wasn't the right time because it says when he had went indoors, the blind men came to him. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? The blind men came to him and said, like, like he said, have, have mercy on us. And, and Jesus said, do you think that I can do what you're asking me to do? And you know what's interesting is that he waited until he was inside to be able to have this conversation. And there's, there's, there's several thoughts on why, but I, I see many times in my life, I'm, I'm just talking about my life, that, I'm, that I feel like I cry out to God. And I think that instead of crying out to God and saying, God, I need mercy, I need help, I need forgiveness, I need redemption, I need this, I need this, I need this, and this is how it needs to look like. Because a lot of times, if I'm not careful, when I'm saying, God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, I'm saying, and here is how you need to fix the situation, God. You need to fix the situation by doing A, B, C, and D. And then when it doesn't happen, I'm like, God, where are you? God, where in the world are you? Because I'm just crying out saying, this is what I need from you, and this is how I need to do it. And it doesn't happen. And then I'm reminded later when God answers my prayer that it didn't look exactly how I thought that it should, but he answered it, and he answered it in his timing. But it's interesting that Jesus asked him this one simple question. And this whole thing that goes on, this is what made it in Matthew about this. Jesus said... Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to give you sight? 
One simple question, but it had so much profoundness behind it because, because for them to say, I believe you can do this, would be to say that I believe that you are the Son of God that was sent to earth to be the redemption of the world because they had just called him the Son of David, remember? And by, by, by him saying, do you believe I can cure your blindness? He's saying, by them answering him, they would be saying that they believe that he is, he is, he is the son of God that come to be the, the Lord of the universe. And what we get from them is one simple answer, yes, Lord. We get this one simple answer, yes, Lord. It's nothing, they don't go into a big dialogue saying, I believe this, and I believe this about you, and I believe this about you, and I believe this, and, but I don't know about this yet because I haven't really studied it with my small group yet, so I don't know if I believe that, and I don't know if I am really, really completely sold out because uh, to this idea, because, you know, my parents were Baptist and my parents were Methodist, so I'm not sure about that. He said, do you believe that I can do what you're saying that you want me to do? And they said, yes, Lord. Big question right now for all of us as we move forward from here. Every one of us has had a point or will have a point in our life where we come face to face in the quiet, alone inside of a house, our room, away from everybody else, maybe not physically, Maybe it's in this room this morning, but mentally to where you come face to face with the Lord of the universe and he asks us, do you believe that I can really do what you're asking me to do? Do you believe that I am the savior of the world? And we have the opportunity and the ability to either say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. And I'm going to tell you, God is not looking for, well, I believe this, 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 but not sure about this. It's yes or no. It's very, very plain and simple. And we see that right in the next verse, in verse 29. He said, Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, as I've always read this, now, just going back and and, in my quiet time and reading this, I've thought about this passage so many times just as I've because of this one phrase, according to your faith, let it be done. And, and I've always taken this as this, that, that, that what Jesus was saying here is that as much faith as you have right now in me is how much I'm willing to do in your life. So because you have this much faith in me, this is how much I'm going to do in your life. And it, according to your faith, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. But that's not what this means at all. When you go back and you look at it, it means because of your faith, I am going to. It's either a yes or no. You either have faith or you don't. And he came and he touched their eyes and he said, because you have faith in me, look around because you can see now. Verse 30. And it says, their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. And I'm going to tell you, this is a, the second tricky part. I had to call, Chris was on vacation. I was like, Chris, I'm fighting with this. I'm wrestling with this. And I said, I don't want to get up there on Sunday morning. I said, I fought with this for years reading this passage. And I said, I'm like, why, why, is, why, why is Jesus saying this? Why is Jesus saying, don't tell anybody about what I've done? I said, if our job is to let people know about Christ, and then shouldn't Christ 
make him want to make himself known. And, and, and in studying and prep, you read a lot of commentaries and different thoughts. And, and Chris has said this before on Sunday morning, and I think it's really good to, to, to reiterate the fact that you may have a study Bible, and if that is all that you use in order to kind of get maybe a little deeper glance at it, and you're using one source, you have to realize that that study Bible is written by a man, okay? There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing perfect about the study notes in your Bible because they're written by an errant man, right? And so looking over maybe six, seven, eight commentaries, even on this one topic, why did Jesus tell him not to let, why did Jesus tell these guys not to let anybody know about it? They, they, uh, there's like four or five different answers. And what's interesting is everybody in every commentary says, and this is why Jesus said, don't do that. And then the next one says, and this is why Jesus said, don't do that, but it's something completely opposite. And so somebody needs to, we need to get all the people with commentary that are commentary writers in the middle on the stage on a Sunday morning, sell tickets and let them fight it out. And, and because, because they're, somebody's wrong, a lot of people are wrong. But Chris had some wise words and, 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 and kind of from, from the years of studying because he, he said, man, I've had the same question. And he said, the more that I read, the more commentaries that I read, he said, he, said, he said, maybe this is it, maybe it's not. He said, but Jesus' ultimate purpose was to go to the cross and die for our sins. And the more people that he healed, the more people that, the more big open things that were going on, the larger the crowd was going. And it was, and it was good because people were following and listening and giving their lives to him. But there comes a point in time where maybe the crowd becomes so large that when the thought of throwing Christ on the cross comes up that the people overthrow the government and he never makes it to the cross. And Christ's per- number one purpose was to die on the cross for, for each one of us in this room this morning. Maybe that's it, maybe it's not. But regardless, he told him, don't go tell anybody about him. And lastly, we see their response to his stern words that he says, I'm healing you and I've made, blind, made you now able to see, don't tell anybody. And it says, but they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. Their first thing was a sin. Their first action after receiving sight from being blind was a sin because Jesus told them not to. But you know, you have to know that, you have to, if you think about it honestly, what, uh, what else could they do? Really? They've been blind their whole life. Or at least they, maybe it was from a disease and they were blind you know, later in life. But they've been blind at, through some portion of their life, at least long enough that they have great desperation about being able to see again. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes his hand and he places his hand on their eyes. And their world gets flipped upside down because now the person that could not see is now able to see. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it. Man, you're going to run tell everybody. When you hear news, Janelle will say, Josh, I'm going to tell you something. It's really exciting, but you can't tell anybody. I'm like, okay. And she's like, Josh, really? You can't tell him. And I know that sometimes my dad said I was vaccinated with a Victrola needle. And uh, I'm like, Dad, we don't have Victrolas anymore. We have iPods. And he was like, uh, he said, you talk too much, boy. And Janelle said, Josh, don't say anything about this. And then she tells me, I'm like, whoa. I said, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, I'm not. Hey, hang on. Listen, don't say anything about what I'm fixing to tell you. And you know you've done it too. 
But here's my point with this. When you or I have a true encounter with the Savior of the universe and He touches our lives and He places His hands on us and He says, you were blind, but now you see. You were condemned to death, but now you have hope and you have salvation. This was your future, but now this is your future. And he places his hands on us and touches us and changes our life and flips it upside down. My question for you is this. How can we not be telling everybody that we know? How can we not be so passionate about what has happened? Because if I gave you a million dollars, you would be telling everybody you know. But Christ came and died on the cross so that we may have eternal life and then have life here on earth more abundantly by having a relationship with him. There, you can't put a price on that. But, but somewhere in our minds, we rationalize it. So here's where we wrap it up. This is where we wrap it up. And, 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 and just a couple of thoughts for you. When you gave your life to Christ, let's, 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 play, let's play kind of a couple scenarios. Let's say that you've given your life to Christ, that you have surrendered your life to Christ and you are confident in that. Then you should be very well aware and, and, and realize that the fact that when God changes our life, we can't help but tell people. That should be something that that should be something that is real with inside of us. Maybe it's not real for us right now. Maybe we've slipped away from where we need to be with God. Because I believe that if we're still where we need to be with God, that should be just as passionate in our lives. But at least it was at some point. Maybe you have been considering, thinking, worrying, stressed out about whether you can give your life to Christ or you should give your life to Christ, but you, but you haven't done that. I've talked to so many students over the years, my years of being here, and, and adults too, that will say, man, every time I closed my eyes, every time I woke up in the morning, every time I sat down to church, I had this, this feeling, like, and, it's, and God's not a feeling, but I had this conviction, I had this nastiness going on inside of me, and I knew that I needed to give my life to Christ. One of the coolest conversations with my friends, with one of my friends was when I was a senior, and, and he said, Josh, every night I lay down in my bed, and he said, I lay there wondering, if I die tonight, do I have, am I going to heaven? Do I have a relationship with God? And he said, I, I wonder every single night, and I lay there and I can't sleep because that's what I think about. I said, how long has this been going on? He said, Josh, it's been going on for months. And I said, why haven't you told anybody? He said, because I didn't know what to say. And my thoughts are, if there's 400, 350 people here this morning, that there are people here this morning that have experienced that same thing, and they've been like, I just, I know that I'm in need of something. I know that I'm in need of a Savior. But whether it's pride, whether it's fear, whether it's just saying I need to figure it out more before I do this, I'm going to tell you that we come to Jesus. We don't come to Jesus full, with, full of knowledge. We come to Jesus broken saying we need a Savior. Because when I was in that mud hole 
And I was, my bed was filling up, and I didn't want to lose my precious red truck that was worth about $150. And I didn't want to make that phone call to my dad, but I knew that none of my friends were getting me out. It came down to a spot. It's like, what am I going to do? And I made that telephone call. And he, I said, Dad, I said, I'm in a bind. He said, I'll come get you out. I said, you ain't getting me out. I said, we need a wrecker. I said, we need wreckers. And he said, I'll get you a wrecker. I said, Dad, wreckers. I said, we're in a bind here. Okay? A bind. That's redneck for come on now. All right? And, 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 and though I knew that there was going to be a spanking, or, you know, whatever that looks like for a 300-pound guy, you know, getting spanking, but, it, you know, and it was going to be bad. And uh, I knew that it was going to be in trouble, but I knew at that moment that nothing, none of that mattered. None of that mattered because I knew that I was in need of somebody to save me from the situation that I put myself in. I know that some of you in this room right now may be thinking, I know I need to give my life to Christ, but because of pride or because I don't, I don't know, I don't want people to think about this, or I'm scared, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to tell you that in that moment, when it gets real for you, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter because they, and there will be changes and it will be painful. You know, there's going to be changes that you probably have to make and adjustments in your life. But, but, but you have to look at it and say, do, do I want to go through life wrestling with the fact that am I a child of God? I'm a friend every night. Or do I want to just move forward and get ready to submit to God? For these guys, the touch of God changed your life forever. And I promise you that 2,000 years later, the touch of God will change your life forever in this room today. We pray with me? As we, as we pray and, and, and reflect for a moment, I want you to think about those two questions, please. One, what do you need to do to be sitting right with God this morning? Are you confident in your salvation? And are things going well for you? Then good. Then keep moving forward with God. Are you confident in your salvation, but you know that you're not where you need to be with God right now? What steps do you need to take right now in order for you to be sitting where you need to be sitting with God? Okay? Or number three, are, are, do you realize as you sit here, and maybe for the first time this morning, that you feel like, man, I am, I'm burdened by the fact that I do not have a relationship with God or I'm not living life like I need to or maybe it's been bothering you and eating you up since revival or for the last six months or whatever, however that looks my question for you is are you going to walk out of here the same way that you walked in if you feel like you're at a spot that you can say God I'm ready to commit my life and give my life to you fully salvation looks like this, it is, I mean, admitting that we're a Savior, we're a sinner in need, admitting that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing that Christ came and did fulfill that obligation of dying on the cross for us, and saying right now, the best way I know how I want to live my life fully for you, and you can pray that with me right now, you can come up and talk to a pastor in a moment, you can catch one of us after, but if you feel like that is you and you want to pray and give your life to Christ, you can pray with me, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And Christ, I believe that you came and fulfilled your duty 
to die on the cross to save me from my sin. And God, I, I want to commit my life to you fully right now. God, I, I thank you for letting us be in this moment that we're in right now. Father, I pray that as we walk into this invitation time, that it won't merely be a brief moment before the announcement video is played and then we get out of here, but that it will be, this invitation will be just exactly what it is, that it will be a time that we meet with you, that we get real with you, that we say, I'm laying it all down for you, that we just do business with you, God. And I love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. If you will, stand with me. The, as we get ready to begin, it, there will be pastors down front. And if you would like to come speak with the pastor, visit with the pastor. By all means, do that. The, the, the altar is open. If you want to come spend some time now before God, praying for yourself, praying for someone that you know. Let's just be open enough that these and bold enough as these two blind men to say, I'm going to respond to you, God.